0: Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of Dirty Drinks. How are you today, Rick?
1: I am wonderful, Sarah. Yourself?
0: Not too bad. I know we've talked a lot about how technology brings people together, and um, you and I have been friends for quite a long time in doing this podcast. But we actually met in person this last weekend.
1: Yeah, it was great to actually do that and get together with people from uh, ICAP and everything else at the at the campfire. That was it. Was nice to meet you in person. We've we've done a lot together, and uh, it's just uh, strange times.
0: was very strange. And we have, uh, today our guest was also at that bonfire with us, and I met him for the first time in person this weekend as well. So today we have our fearless leader, Dr. Salman Ashraf, who is the medical director for the Nebraska ICAP team. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Ashraf.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Rick, uh, for um, um, inviting me to, to join this podcast. Um, and yeah, I, I, I met... Uh, not only um, Sarah as the first time, I actually met a lot of uh, of our ICAP team in person for the first time there too. Um, so it was a nice uh, outdoor uh, kind of event. So I, I enjoyed um, meeting everybody in person there.
1: Yeah, was it was fun. terrific. It was it was awesome. I, I've met you before. You're like two two doors <laughs> down from me. <laughs> But but, but there was there was a few people, some of them I've known just because I've been in the area a long time and doing infection prevention for a long time. But there was a bunch of people I had not met in person before. So it was really nice. It was a beautiful night.
0: It was very nice. Yeah. The kids really enjoyed the bonfire and all of the s'mores and everything that were happening. So. So, Dr. Ashraf, uh, you have kind of a big role in the ICAP team and everything that is going on in the state of Nebraska. Would you like to tell everyone out there what exactly your role entails right now?
2: So in terms of my role uh, with the ICAP team, I am the medical director for uh, Nebraska ICAP team. Um, I actually joined uh, the Nebraska ICAP uh, back in 2016. When I moved here from North Carolina to be the medical director of the of the team, it wasn't uh, you know it, the program wasn't in infancy then. Uh, we just uh, started uh, about a year or so um, uh, at that time. Uh, so, uh, you know, over the over the period uh, of years, the program has grown. We when we started the ICAP uh, program, it was uh, primarily to assess infection prevention. Um, uh, and infection prevention control activities and policies and protocols uh, among different uh, um, healthcare facilities across the state and then giving them some tips and strategies to to strengthen that program. uh, And then over the period of years, we have developed many different uh, um, activities in addition to that like ip mentorship program uh, certificate courses uh, uh, outbreak assistance uh, and, and all of that and in recent year you know with the covid 19 pandemic have expanded some of those roles even further beyond like one on one mentoring um, uh, so my my uh, role in the in the program is to provide uh, uh, overall, a strategic uh, kind of uh, uh, program development, along with uh, my medical expertise, uh, um, and then we have also added so many other medical directors too, like Doctor Stalin here, um, uh, and, and uh, you know, um, and 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 it has it has bring it has brought the team a diversity of expertise uh, um, uh, that now our healthcare facilities in Nebraska can benefit from uh, from this.
1: Yeah, terrific. So when you you said you came here from uh, North Carolina with the kind of the plan to do this, did you have the vision to, how did you know about ICAP and how did you get into it? Was it a position that they were recruiting for and you specifically applied for? And did you know what you were getting into and the scope of of what you were going to be doing at that time?
2: Yes. Um, uh, So the only reason um, I um, I applied because I knew the scope uh, um, uh, of the program. Um, So so let's let's talk about how it all came about. When I was in um, North Carolina, um, as you guys know, uh, my training um, is in infectious disease and also in geriatrics. So uh, after I did my internal medicine residency, I did uh, um, a fellowship in geriatrics, and then I did another fellowship in infectious diseases. And when I started working as a faculty member um, in East Carolina University, North Carolina, I actually uh, was a joint faculty for uh, you know, at least a year, I think after I started um, in both geriatric um, department and infectious disease department. And that's when um, my um, kind of interest uh, continues to grow in uh, nursing home infection control and antibiotic stewardship uh, at, at that point. Uh, so I started working with some of uh, the local nursing homes uh, in North Carolina um, uh, where I where I was helping them develop their antibiotic stewardship programs. Uh, uh, and, and then I uh, came to know about this opportunity here in Nebraska where, um, I saw the vision that whatever experience I have gained so far in North Carolina by helping out some of the nursing homes in the area, I can use that experience, uh, um, uh, and, and to be honest, it was not only the nursing home that I was working with, I was working with hospitals too, because I was also a hospital infection preventionist, uh, oh sorry, hospital um, infection control medical director, working with the infection preventionists in the hospitals too. So, so, um, um, so not only I was able to bring the vision of, uh, you know, expanding uh, infection prevention control and antibiotic stewardship uh, um, uh, programs in a statewide level uh, to the nursing homes and to the, um, uh, some of the smaller hospitals. Those, are, those were the type of vision that I have when I was coming into and I saw that it was possible in Nebraska because of a statewide program, uh, rather than what I was uh, working with in North Carolina with local um, places, just at a local level.
0: That's very cool. Um, I know, so you said you've come from North Carolina. Did you do your uh, medical training in North Carolina? Where did that all start?
2: So I did my infectious diseases training in North Carolina um, uh, uh, at East Carolina University um, uh, and Widered Health System. Um, But my internal medicine training was in New York. Um, And and, uh, uh, my geriatrics training was also in New York.
0: Okay, so you've been all over the place.
2: Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been. I have been to uh, many different uh, um, states before I kind of settled in, in Nebraska area.
1: Had you been to the Midwest before you came to interview at Nebraska?
2: So, yes, uh, um, um, I have been, I have worked as a chief resident in a junior faculty uh, in Akron General Medical Center, Ohio, um, you know, um, before my geriatrics training, after my internal medicine residency training. So there was a short period of time where I spent my time uh, in um, Akron, Ohio. Uh, and then um, before my residency, I was doing some research uh, in Northwestern University in Chicago. Uh, so, so yes. So I have, I have been to Midwest before I moved here to Nebraska.
1: <laughs> Great. So it wasn't too much of a shock then you've actually seen uh, cornfields and cows before then, right? Oh, yes.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, so you mentioned geriatrics and ID. So what, um, no, so you must have decided early on that kind of a long-term care focus or, or something like that with infectious disease. Was something you were interested in, since you actually had the foresight to do both fellowship trainings?
2: Yeah, so I will say I stumble upon that. Um, that was not the vision, as I say, you know, um, it was not my childhood uh, dream or anything. Um, uh, what happened was that uh, um, um, I wanted to learn geriatrics uh, because I knew that our, you know, even for for. My, my idea for being a good physician, all around physician was that if you are going to, um, if you're going to treat people in, in the US, uh, you need to understand geriatrics a little better. Um, because you know we have an aging population. There's a lot of people that we see in the hospitals, even on the clinics. You know, um, there, there are many, many elderly folks that we have to take care of,? Right? So, so just having that experience, uh, even though I was going into infectious disease, that was my plan having that experience before going into infectious disease would actually make me a better physician. So I went into geriatrics thinking about just learning to know the basic um, uh, uh, geriatrics uh, principles. Um, When I went into that training, I was supposed to be doing a research project and I was asked um, uh, to um, submit one of my uh, research proposals for the fellowship. And then I start kind of thinking about it. How do I combine my geriatrics with my infectious diseases um, you know, interest? And uh, one of the thing that comes to my mind at that point of time, while I was working in a long-term care uh, setting during my geriatric fellowship, um, is that I started noticing that the hand hygiene um, and, uh, practices <laughs> are, 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 are maybe uh, maybe different because before that I was working in acute care, correct? So now I'm starting to work in the in the um, uh, in the long term care, and I start to notice difference in the hand um, uh, hand hygiene practices in the nursing home, and I start thinking, you know, um, why is that? Why are we seeing something like less of uh, um, um, less of hand hygiene? Um, uh, Dispense less of the hand gel dispensers uh, in the, in the um, hallways uh, that what I was used to seeing in the acute care facilities. And then I started to look into the hand hygiene guidelines. And then I, I decided that I'm going to do, go and do a project on um, doing a survey on hand hygiene knowledge, practices, and attitude of the healthcare workers working in the nursing home. So that was my first, you know, kind of pro- proposal that I put together uh, for the, uh, my, my fellowship. And then from there onwards, uh, it was just uh, uh, my, my kind of uh, uh, conviction for um, infection control in the nursing homes keeps building.
1: Awesome. The reason we were laughing is because our catchphrase for dirty drinks is hand hygiene. So essentially, whenever, if you ever don't know what to do next, like you're in a, you're presenting or you're, uh, you know, doing something in the biocontainment unit or or whatever. You can. You're ne- doing hand hygiene is never wrong, and it buys you, you know, half a minute or so, so you can walk over there, do your hand hygiene, and you can think about, you know, things before you answer. So that's that was the reason that we were laughing when you uh, <laughs> when you uh, uh, mentioned hand hygiene. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and you know we, we actually uh, found out, and uh, you know it was it was a big survey that we did. I think it was more than thousand um, responses that we end up getting, if I'm not wrong. Um, uh, and and we learned a lot uh, about uh, um, what the practices were in the in the nursing homes uh, across. Actually, it was done in five. Uh, I think in five different states. Uh, um, I, I kind of collaborated with many of my colleagues in different part of the country uh, to get it get it all done. And uh, and we started to learn a lot. Uh, about uh, why there was differences uh, in hand hygiene practices uh, in the nursing homes uh, at that point. And, and to be honest, some of those barriers still exist.
0: Yeah, there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of different situational barriers in long-term care than acute care. So I think having you on and your perspective on that is awesome for our audience, just to kind of think about that a little bit. Um, so you are originally from overseas. Where are you from?
2: I'm originally from Pakistan. I was born there um, in, in a city called Karachi in Pakistan.
0: Awesome. And um, did you, growing up, know you always wanted to be a physician? Or yes. Was that... okay. Yes,
2: yes, yes. I think my father whispered in my ear from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> he whispered and then he, he never stopped. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're doing something professional, darn it <laughs>
2: exactly. yeah yeah he, he, he I think um, um, he always uh, um, kind of uh, talked about that from my from my childhood that uh, you know he really wanted um, his children to be in the medicine, medical specialty here yeah.
1: So what year did you come to nebraska again?
2: It was 2016.
1: 2016. Yeah. So yeah. you had a, a few years to get entrenched and get your program going and everything else prior to the pandemic. I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody's you know, knew exactly what, you know, with, we figured something was going to happen. You know, But we I think most of us were preparing for a pandemic influenza, not a pandemic coronavirus. But um, at least you had things set down. And obviously, the long-term care facilities were impacted significantly early on. Um, how did you did How did you feel about that? Did you think things were relatively well prepared? Uh, your program helped a ton of facilities and touched a ton of people. Um, how do you think things went from that standpoint?
2: Yeah, so so that's very important point. You know, so the one of the reasons the Nebraska ICAP program was set up, and I I, I do believe you know uh, that uh, um, DHHS uh, um, I think. The, the, I do give them the credit to, for the vision here uh, to, to partner with the UNMC and Nebraska Medicine, you know, um, uh, to set up a team like this um, just for the fact of, uh, you know, just for um, trying to build something to prevent um, uh, or, or to reduce the number of, um, you know, outbreaks and things like that if another pandemic start to happen, you know, or we start to see, this was right after Ebola, uh, um, um, you know, that we start to see this kind of thought process coming in is that, are we ready? Are we ready in all our healthcare settings? And definitely what we found that, you know, there was a lot to work on. Uh, through, through the beginning. So yeah, we did have time. We worked with uh, um, uh, not only long-term care facilities and during that time from 2015 you know, when the Nebraska ICAP program was started and even before I joined to all the way, t- um, you know, now, uh, you know, we have worked with uh, um, acute care facilities, uh, outpatient facilities, dialysis centers, dental facilities, uh, um, you know, um, pre- definitely critical access hospital, even Ebola treatment centers. We've worked with even we worked with all of the kind of facilities all throughout the pandemic. Now, when the pandemic started, um, we definitely at that point our team was still small because you know we were yes we were envisioning to be able to uh, strengthen the infection prevention control programs so that when the time comes the facilities have the ability to um, uh, fight um, or, or put in place that uh, um, uh, that responses that will help them. Um, kind of mitigate uh, uh, some of the uh, impact of, from these outbreaks. However, you know uh, there is still a lot of work needs to be done. So when the pandemic, when we start seeing you know cases across the world, we start to t- say to ourselves, where is the most uh, need is in the state right now? And at that point of time, uh, we figured out that the long term care facilities is going to need the most. Um, uh, uh, help uh, because of the infrastructure, um, you know that the, you know kind of deficiencies in the long-term care setting for infection prevention and control. Even though we have been working with them, there's still a lot needs to be done. So that and also the expertise is much um, uh, uh, less available to the long-term care than to the acute care um, uh, hospitals. So that's why I think we initially focused on the long-term care during the COVID-19 pandemic, but then as we uh, went along. Um, and we were able to get more resources, we then started to expand back uh, our uh, outreach to the acute care, to the outpatient, to the dental facilities, you know. Um, so, so going back again to, uh, to our roots of, um, of, of assisting all the healthcare settings.
0: Yeah, I know the ICAP team has been a, a critical part of The pandemic and supporting those long-term care facilities and even you, just the support that we provide them on a daily basis. Um, We've had a a weekly webinar since the pandemic started to help keep everyone up to date and um, that infection control and outbreak hotline that we have has really helped a lot of facilities. So I think there are a lot of people out there that are very appreciative of what you and the ICAP team are doing.
1: Yeah, do you have any um, concept in your head? Have you sat back and and tried to think how much uh, the program has impacted the state uh, during this time? How many facilities you've touched and talked to or how many webinars somebody on the team has given? How many phone calls and assistance uh, in getting testing or PPE or something you guys have helped with?
2: (laughs) I I think think it's hard to kind of um, uh, keep tab on that these numbers keep changing daily uh, but I can I can tell you that there are you know um, over thousands of outbreaks that we have assisted with, uh, um, and, uh, um, uh, and 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 you know done numerous, numerous. Like we know that we have been doing these weekly webinars uh, uh, for more than a year now for the long term care facilities, and also for acute care and outpatient facilities. We have been doing it twice uh, a month now for for a long period of time at, at this uh, at this at this point. So I think we have we have. Uh, we have helped in many different ways. One of the thing that, that jumps up right away in my mind is that when, when we look at, when I look at the numbers from across the country, especially in the long-term care um, uh, arena, um, when, I, when I looked at the numbers that the CMS made publicly available for anyone to kind of look at, um, in terms of number of cases, per 1,000 um, resident uh, uh, bed, um, uh, but they, they, they give this report on a weekly basis. And you kind of combine that number of cases per 1,000 bed that they're giving on a weekly basis and, and see where we are uh, as compared to the rest of the country. Um, Nebraska is among the top 10 um, states, uh, last I checked. Um, for the lowest COVID-19 case uh, case rates um, um, in the country, uh, top 10 states, uh, lo- look for the lowest uh, case numbers. And when I also look at the COVID-19 related deaths in the long-term care facilities, we're also among the top 10 um, uh, states in the country with lowest Um, uh, COVID-19 death rate uh, in our, uh, in our state, um, which, which I think has helped our state keep lower um, uh, mortality rate with COVID-19 overall. Um, uh, So, because, you know, we knew that many of the deaths that happened in in many other states were from the long-term care facilities, because those are the most vulnerable people. But if we were able to uh, keep covid uh, first of all, maybe out of the building. And then secondly, if it happened, we were able to limit the spread. And again, I'm not taking all the credits for that. I think uh, there is a lot of partners uh, that helped us um, uh, with, with help the ICAP with that. Uh, the facilities themselves you know, put in place a lot of those measures um, uh, that helped us achieve that. Uh, but what I'm saying is that uh, you know it was it was a group effort of uh, of hard work done by our healthcare facilities our healthcare workers our our um, you know relevant uh, um, stakeholders or partners in the in the state um, uh, but but i'm glad that we were able to help them in those activities uh, um, and 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 help make the guidance available to them help interpret the guidance for them Um, uh, and and we're able to provide that one-on-one assistant that may have made some of that difference.
0: I think this is a perfect example of that behind-the-scenes support that we always talk about and how it really makes a difference in the community.
1: Yeah, that's been one of our big driving points is just to get uh, the work that uh, people like you and the whole team are doing, get it to the forefront, because it's all happening. And I think it all makes a tremendous difference, as you have noted, but it, it, it's, it happens behind the scenes. So most people, or many people, didn't even know what infectious disease doctors did or infection preventionists did before a pandemic, and then they kind of get thrust into the limelight, um, which is not where we really want to be but we certainly want people to have an interest in this and understand it. And so hopefully we can have, um, keep learning more and, and make things better for the future.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: So another hat that you wear is that you're also one of the medical directors for infection prevention at the med center. So obviously a theme, um, uh, anything, any comments on that? You got a good team here as well.
2: Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, um, all of that experience uh, help uh, um, <laughs> help shape what I do, right? Um, you know, um, uh, doing, doing the clinical care, uh, taking care of the patients uh, in the hospital, uh, taking care of patients in the clinic, doing the hospital infection control, uh, you know, getting into day-to-day practice of hospital infection control and hospital antibiotic stewardship. Um, uh, and also, you know, um, um, uh, nursing home infection control and nursing home antibiotic stewardship is all these experiences actually shape uh, somebody uh, into doing what we are doing. we cannot help uh, you know and you know that uh, Rick and and Sarah that we cannot help uh, um, uh, anyone if we have not lived through some of that experience or not living through it uh, still through that through that experiences so, so I, I think that is very very important for us you know we, we set aside some time, to continue to learn those our you know principles ourselves, continue to apply those principles ourselves in our daily practices, uh, you know, w- we'll be able to better help um, uh, others if we are still experiencing and uh, and updating our knowledge.
0: Yeah, um, that experience is definitely vital to what we're doing. Um, so, I am just curious, when do you sleep?
1: I was just going to ask that question. I was going to ask that for anybody who's ever worked with uh, Solomon and has received an email at two in the morning has wondered this question uh, because it doesn't appear that the man ever sleeps.
2: Well, I do sleep. I do sleep. I I, I sleep, uh, you know, but but what happens is sometimes, uh, you know, uh, if I have to finish something, And and it's it's late, um, and I I am in a flow. I I just don't want to stop and continue to continue to uh, you know finish that up. That's probably one of the reasons you see see some emails uh, from at one a.m. or two a.m. is that I'm working on something, and you know. But but to uh, to tell you the truth, you know, it's not me that has to go through this. uh, I know many of you also, and I also know many of the facilities that I'm working with. Uh, um, uh, they are working day and night. Also, you know the, the healthcare workers in those facilities are working day and night. COVID-19 pandemic, you know, has uh, um, has stressed uh, um, a lot of people where they have been working more than, you know, uh, their usual hours. Uh, um, You know, uh, just this weekend, uh, um, I got an email from a facility at probably about, uh, what, 10.30, 11 uh, p.m. Um, And I was working on something at that time, an email popped up and I replied at 11.30 or 11 or whatever, I don't remember now, something like that. And we were having a conversation at at that point. Um, uh, but uh, I was glad to help that facility, you know, right in the moment, yeah, answer their question right in the moment when they were having. But this kind of uh, um, is is an important point here is that is is healthcare workers across the state and across the country are stressed out with the COVID nineteen pandemic, and they are they they have questions that they need help with. Even at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., and they are working on that. And if I can be there for them at 10, 30, 11 p.m., and can answer that question, they're not expecting me to answer that. But if I can and 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 give them a better, relaxing night of sleep, I will be happy to do that.
0: That's awesome. You're you're an awesome doctor, Dr. Ashraf.
2: Well, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to do my job.
1: <laughs> Yeah, you definitely do it very well, very well. So outside of doctoring and infection preventioning and eye capping and everything else that you do, what, what does uh, Dr. Ashraf like to do?
2: You know, I do, I do like uh, um, to, you know, uh, spend time some with my family. That's number one priority always, you know, and then, and then you know, doing some hiking uh, from time to time is, is uh, uh, what I enjoy. Um, uh, uh, and especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, I think uh, hiking is one of those activities uh, that even grew more on me because you can actually be in open, um, uh, you know, um, in, in outside and and, and have some, um, some time away from, you know, where you're not, with your family maybe doing the activities and may not have to be in big crowds and things like that. I think that has that has even grown further on me uh, during this time.
0: So where all have you been hiking?
2: Well, most recently, you know, we went to uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and then uh, um, we were in some of the mountains right around Washington, DC. Um, and also in, you know, um, uh, in mountains in uh, Colorado, you know. So, so yeah. So, so some of those were our recent places that we, we visited. Although, you know, I was still answering some phone calls from those mountains. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think you were actually trying to do webinars with like a a, a shoddy kind of internet connection as well
2: <laughs> I, I did that too i did that
1: too, yeah. he he doesn't know the concept of vacation people
2: <laughs> well, so, well but again you know i still enjoyed that i still enjoyed that to to be honest you know um one of the one of the things and again i, I will not recommend it for everyone um but uh, for for me um I feel better if I'm still able to be connected uh, with the team. Um, uh, uh, although I, I do, I do believe that people should have complete off of the, from the work, but I don't know. It's just my personality is uh, that uh, I feel something is missing if I'm not connected with the team.
1: Yeah. We've talked about the, the connectedness of the world now, and it is hard to completely get away and you, You don't want to let anybody down, but yet, you know, you need the time and it's a, it's tough to balance. I think young people are really having a hard time balancing that, Uh, you know, every first thing they do all the time is look at their phone over and over and over again. And so it's, it's going to be interesting what kind of long-term impact something like that has, because it's tough. You have to disconnect, right?
2: Yeah, yeah yeah no I, I and and whenever you know um I've taken those time out, you know they did refresh me a lot uh, uh, even though yes i was i was still answering some phone calls some emails things like that but it, uh, it I was still able to cut down a lot of other things.
1: So have you done some of the Nebraska things or Omaha things to do, like go to the zoo or the college world series, or maybe a Nebraska football game? I I, I'm sure American football is probably not uh, necessarily what you grew up watching, but those things that you're in this area that, you you know, you can do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You know? um, um, So, so I am a little bit, uh, my wife actually um, uh, uh, introduced me to um, the NFL. (laughs) So, 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 so I am, I am uh, um, kind Are of you a uh, Panther fan. Well, no, nah, actually, you know, more recently I'm, I'm actually, um, uh, supporting Kansas city chief, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so enjoying that, uh, yeah, but this, this season doesn't look like they're doing that great. So we'll see.
1: You need to go down to a game down there and tailgate. That's some of the best tailgates in the NFL down there, uh, from, for Kansas city. They're, it's fun. It's just yeah. a, it's an event. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully soon
1: they'd even let you bring your phone so if somebody wants to talk to you they could still call you
2: <laughs> dr
0: Ashraf gets a call and anyone all you can hear is like these crowd of people screaming in the background <laughs>
1: it's like back in the day at memorial stadium when they used to announce dr so-and-so you have a call on line three back before we had cell phones i don't know
2: if- <laughs> <Hopefully not. laughs>
0: So,
2: uh, are you watching or binge watching or reading anything right now? Um, hmm, binge watching or reading anything right now? Um, not right now. Okay, I think uh, one of the um, one of the TV shows that I I watched recently um, uh, was show called Outlander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of uh, watch uh, that, um, uh, that show along with my wife. Uh, um, more recently, that's, that's as close, I think, to the binge watching. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about eating? What, um, so you're from Pakistan? Is there any? What is Pakistani food? Like what is? Uh, I like to eat. So I have to ask.
2: Um, okay, so Pakistani food uh, is uh, um, has a lot of uh, you know <laughs> can have a lot of chill, chill uh, hotness and chilliness in in there, correct? Um, um, so some of the food from Pakistan that I will recommend people to kind of try sometime it's like biryani, you know, is is a is a rice dish, you know um, that. Uh, that is, that is famous. You know, um, there are some kebabs uh, um, that uh, um, um, that people usually will like. Um, so those those are the things. And then you know, there are some side dishes uh, that can also um, people may like uh, from from Pakistan, India, kind of world likes um, that we have one in in one of our uh, you know the latest meeting that we had the. the Outdoor uh, fire that I brought is samosas. You know, those, those are the type of uh, um, some of the some of the things that I'll, I'll recommend people to kind of uh, um, uh, try someday.
1: Is there any place good in town or in the area that has uh, good options for that?
2: There, there are there are some um, uh, Indian uh, restaurants. Uh, uh, there's no Pakistani restaurant uh, in um, in Omaha. There are some Indian restaurant there. There are some Afghan restaurant. Uh, um, but, yeah, no, I, I don't think that there is any Pakistani restaurant in, um, uh, in Omaha.
1: There's your next venture right there. <laughs> you could you could practice your infection control measures so that the, uh, the Board of Health will come in and they'll be like, oh, there's hand hygiene everywhere. <laughs> That's
0: right. It's That's important in a restaurant too, isn't
2: it? If I can get some time for that. Uh... <laughs>
0: So I am curious. In your entire medical career, what is the craziest thing you've ever seen?
2: Entire medical career. What is the craziest thing I've ever seen? Hmm. Well, I think with the with the infectious disease, uh, we 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 see a lot of a uh, um, lot of interesting cases. Uh, I'm trying to kind of think about uh, um, craziest. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think craziest. Uh, I'm also thinking about maybe um, uh, examples from infection prevention and control uh, world. Um, you know, there's one paper that uh, um, that we published. Uh, um, of, uh, of an infection with mycobacterium mycogenicum, um, uh, um central line a ba- basic bl- bloodstream infection with mycobacterium mycogenicum and I think uh, um, the findings were that uh, um, what, I can't try to summarize kind of the issue into a small um, piece here um, so so the finding that uh, that we've we found on that uh, uh, infection and that was that was in north carolina that uh, um that that was ha- was happening is that uh, um what led to some of those cases of mycobacterium uh in some of the sickle disease uh, um, uh, patients, uh, patients patient with sickle disease uh, is that uh, a nurse um, you know at that time was uh, um Preparing the saline to be administered into the into the line uh, near uh, sink, um, and uh, you know uh, and 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 uh, and the, instead of using like a pre uh, prepared saline, um, you know, vials, uh, she was uh, using a saline bag that was uh, you know kind of staying there all day long. And then any time the saline is needed, kind of take some saline out of it, which is not the best practice, you know, which shouldn't be happening. But, you know, um, that's why I think the education is very, very important uh, and continuous education is very, very important what needs to be done and have to have the right protocol in place. Uh, and then, you know, um, anytime, um, any time, so, so that saline is there, sink is right there. The bag is kind of uh, hanging around all day long uh, and people are washing hand in that sink. And, and this problem is my, Mycobacterium mycogenicum is a kind of um, uh, uh, pathogen related to water um, uh, supply, you know, and uh, they were able to, you know. Um, so, the, so basically, basically that, uh, that practice led to this, these cases of Mycobacterium mycogenicum bloodstream infections um, in, in several of the patients who were coming to this uh, clinic. Um, and I think that's why um, uh, this kind of reminds uh, me all the time is that why it is important, even in all healthcare settings, that we have the best infection prevention control measure. Nobody will think about that—that that, you know something from the sink will now get into um, uh, somebody's blood. Um, uh, but uh, um, you know th- that just a, a, a reminder that uh, come keep keeps to my mind, like keep, it, it makes me think uh, of the importance all the time about uh, strengthening our infection prevention control practice in all the healthcare settings.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I think how you have to be a detective and look through all these things to try to figure out that answer, which I think is what, you know, intellectually, I think it's interesting, right?
0: Yeah, yeah and for all of our listeners out there, this means that hand hygiene is still important just don't store your saline and medications next to the sink, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's <laughs> the most important thing is to is to is to understand, you know, um, the transmission more than how things from one place can get get transferred to another place. You know, all the dynamics.
1: So you do a lot of education too, and so you talk to probably a lot of young, uh, you know, people who are getting into healthcare or, or or getting in trying to figure out what they do um, for the future. What what advice do you give to to these people? Maybe about whether it's infectious disease, infection prevention, or just medicine in general. Is there anything that you kind of lay your hat on and say, "Hey, I, you know, you like this? Kind of look at this, etc."
2: So, anytime you are trying to figure out what you want to do, I think you have to look into um, um, whether the path that you're choosing appeals to your heart. Um, if, if it is something that that you are convinced is going to make a difference, your heart is convinced it's going to make a difference and you would like to be part of that journey, um, then I think you will be making the right choice by following it. Um, you have to have that belief, uh, in what you are, what you are deciding, uh, to pursue that this is going to make a difference in, in someone's, uh, you know, in, in some aspects, it's going to make a difference in this world. Um, uh, so as long as, as long as you know that you can, you have that heart, that you have that commitment, your heart is saying, yes, this is something that I would like to work in, uh, because I can make a difference. I think you can do a Phenomenal job in that in that field, and and sometimes it can take time for you to know that, and and sometimes it may take some attempts to you know to kind of go through a few things uh, to see you know which one um, uh, which was appealing the most. Um, uh, you know, I was not always wanting to be in infectious diseases, uh, and, and I'm not not all. I think I. I never figured out initially that I would want to do, uh, you know, be the most uh, interested in the nursing home infection prevention control until I have experienced that part. So, um, um, you know, I've thought of a lot of things in my, uh, in my, you know, I, one thing I was sure of, I wanted to be physician, but I was not sure about what I'm going to do next. Um, and, and that took me, you know, uh, a couple of tries, like, you know, um, 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 experiencing during my, during my training into different, uh, um, into different specialties and things like that before I settled on that I wanted to do um, infectious diseases. So I think uh, that is okay to try out a little bit um, in different areas to get, to get to that feeling where you can make the most difference. You know yourself best, so you know where you can make the difference and, and the, your heart will tell you where you can. That's yeah. Great
1: advice. Yeah, great advice. Follow your heart, believe in yourself, um, and you can get there. But if you don't know the answer right away, don't fret. Um, not everybody knows that at first. And the, the experiences and follow your heart, you'll get to where you need to be, right?
2: Yep. Yep. It definitely takes some tries.
0: Yeah. So we are coming up close to the top of the hour, and we have tortured you with so many questions today. Do you have any questions for
2: Rick or I? Well, I'll I'll ask this. How how are you able to continue to, um, you know, um, uh, take some time to, you know, what what drives you? Let's say this way. What drives you uh, to uh, bring this podcast uh, um, uh, to all the listeners? Uh, what, what, What is the passion behind that?
0: I'll let Rick go first on this. This was his idea. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> well, that's that, that's a great question, and, and um, honestly, it's it's like you said, it's a labor of love. It doesn't feel like it's work at all. It's 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 great fun speaking to everybody about their experiences and why they do what they do. Um, When we had this idea, we just wanted to make it so that the people behind the scenes could describe their passion, what drives them, um, and so that uh, people could meet these people, you know, because you might hear names. I mean, I think a lot of facilities uh, know Dr. Ashraf by name, they've seen you on the monitor screen, um, and they know that you answer a lot of questions and everything else, but who is the person? why does why does he do this why do people do this what what is it even that they do and so it, it provides it's a little bit of a human aspect to something that you know in this technology world is a little bit uh, you know it's hard to be in touch with people because all we do is see each other I mean we just met Sarah for the first time in person on Friday and we've been doing you know almost 20 podcasts and been she's been working here for a while and so you um, we just wanted to bring that human aspect to things and, and let people say who they are, what drives them and what motivates them. I'll let Sarah add anything to that if she wants. But she does all the work. Honestly, I show up for about an hour a week. Um, I give her some ideas of guests and she is awesome. She is the, the the pilot of the whole thing. I'm just along for the ride.
0: Well, I just want to let everyone know out there that this was Rick's idea to start with. Um he is really uh, the inspiration behind all of this. And it has just been an awesome experience getting to know so many people, finding out what makes them tick. Um, I'm really happy to be able to um, continue uh, promoting the field of infection prevention and infectious diseases. I think that since I was very early on in my career, that's always been a really interesting thing to me. And To see all of the different aspects of it come out is really cool. Um, We've talked to so many different types of people. There are so many different directions that people can go in in this field. So um, it's been a lot of fun and I hope that it keeps going for a long time.
2: Thank you very much for for inviting me. Thank you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Thank you for
1: thank you for joining us. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And if we get any difficult questions, uh, we'll we'll forward them your way, since that <laughs> seems to be your mo. At two in the morning.
2: Ha- happy to answer that. <laughs> You'll probably get a reply at two o'clock uh, <laughs> if I'm not already asleep.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Dr. Ashraf. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for joining us.
0: All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Dirty Drinks. And we will catch you on the flip side. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at Dirty Underscore Drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of dirty drinks.